What's up, friends? Welcome to Noted, a podcast where we discuss anything and everything about music education. I'm really excited to get this podcast started. For those of you who don't know, my name is Ariana Parks. I am a horn player. I'm currently in my undergrad at Baylor University. I'm a second year. I grew up with two music educators for parents. My mom taught middle school band for the first decade of my life, and then the most recent decade has been in elementary music. My dad has been a 6 through 12 percussion director his entire career, and that's all I know him as. So both my parents together have taught K through 12, and I think they're fabulous and amazing, but it also kind of leads into what I want to talk about today. You know, having them in the house, and watching how they taught and how they led and the types of ensembles they conducted. I've only ever seen really one way of doing the whole band thing, you know, and of course I saw how my directors did it when I was a student, not under my parents' direction, but a lot of it was the same. A lot of it was very consistent and every educator I've had in a music capacity, we've all had shared opinions in our approach to music education. But, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And so I decided to extend this big question for the podcast today to other professionals and get their opinions. And so I want to lead right into it and just get to talking about the answers to the questions. So I asked a bunch of educators, what is the most valuable piece of advice you received? your undergrad. I got some great responses and they all kind of fit into three categories. The first category is expectations for yourself and for your ensemble. And Belinda Parks, my lovely mother of Bogart Elementary, which is in Frisco ISD here in Texas, she said, if you hold high expectations and standards for performance, whether it be academic, physical, or musical, you're consistent with the rules and you model what you expect. Most of your students will meet the standards you set for them and often exceed them. And this is something I also saw. I did observations as a part of a class here at Baylor and Anna Poe, who's also an elementary music teacher, but she's in the Waco school district. Her classroom management is top notch. I mean, these students come in and they know exactly when they can and can't speak. They know where to go. They know when to sit, when to stand. They all participate. It's, she controls them. And it's, it's beautiful to see really, because I got to see her with kindergartners. And so to see these kids come in and they're just, they're ready to learn. They're ready to dance and they're ready to sing. And they know exactly what she expects from them. And they meet and exceed those standards, in my personal opinion. So I do like what my mom has to say about, you know, holding them to that standard by being consistent and modeling what you expect. Just that last piece about being consistent and modeling what you expect. I think that's the difference between just saying you hold expectations that are high and then actually holding expectations that are high. I think that's cool. In kind of a similar light, Ryan Ross, who's the Plano West Senior High School, orchestra director in Plano ISD. He told me that a group leader or conductor, teacher, whatever it may be, 
should treat their ensemble like it is at least one level more advanced than it really is. Now there's two sides to this and there's two discussions around this approach and I understand them both. One of them is, you know, you got to be careful with that because there's an issue of overprogramming where you pick music that's too hard for your kids and too hard, honestly, for you to conduct them up to that level. And then you, you, you're in a pickle. Uh, and he even admits that. He says that there are exceptions to this and you obviously shouldn't treat a group in a way that they're not developmentally capable of meeting. So that is the that is the one end. On the other end of it, which I think is more of his approach, is just if you have expectations for your ensemble and you have confidence in them and you express that confidence in challenging them with repertoire, I think that's the most balance that you can have with your with your students. You don't want to give them something that is way too easy and it kind of loses their interest and then you're stuck with a board ensemble who could be performing way more challenging things and just kind of succeeding on a different level just because you underestimated them or underestimated yourself. I think that's that's a bigger issue. So I really do like this piece of advice that he had just about expectations for your ensemble. If you treat them just that extra level of advancement up, just one notch, they're going to reach it because they see that you have confidence in them to challenge them to that that standard. I think that's super cool. Another category to which all these educators kind of spoke into would be passion. Giselle Vento from Parkdale Elementary School, also here in Waco ISD, told me, you will realize that people make an impact because of how they make you feel, not so much because of what they say. When you are led by the heart, words end up vanishing. That doesn't even need explanation. That's That doesn't need any type of unpacking. I agree completely. I know that there's people that I am around and I know that if I'm around them, I'm gonna be joyous. I'm gonna be joyful. I'm gonna have a great time and they make me feel good. And then I also know there's people who, it drains me when I'm around them and it's difficult to love them from time to time. And so I think the same thing goes with when you're a teacher. You, you just have to be led by your passion for what you're doing because you can talk and talk all day and your students nine times out of 10 are probably not gonna remember what you say unless it impacts how they feel. I mean, we're very emotional beings just as people, whether or not someone thinks they are, we're all very emotional beings. And that's kind of what I took from it just realizing the impact that you have. And my mom also spoke into this. She said that if you love what you're doing, your passion spills over into the classroom and into the hearts and the minds of your students. And that's my goal. It should be all of our goals, right? Just to make our kids love music, give them that opportunity to love what they do. Not because we want them to, because of course we want them to. But I think more than anything, especially if you're a good quality educator, you want your kids to be successful in what they do. And if they get there through music by making great friends and great connections and great memories, then I think that's all we can ask for, you know? Super cool, super wholesome. Moving right along to kind of this last category of universal life advice, I think there's a lot of things that applies to music education 
but also can be used in our everyday lives. I can go off on a whole tangent about how interconnected music is with the rest of the world, but that could be for another episode. Uh, there are a few pieces of life advice that I got from the people I reached out to. One of them is Bill Santera, who is phenomenal. He's currently the Grand Prairie Fine Arts Academy Jazz Band Director in Grand Prairie ISD. He told me you have to be flexible because things are going to change. So simple, so short. And I like that he said things are going to change. You know, not that they might, not that they could, not perhaps, but they are. We can all, we can all speak to that because it's definitely been true over the last year and a half. I mean, COVID, the pandemic, we've had to do so many things differently, so many things in ways we didn't want to do. I mean, nobody was excited about having band meet on Zoom. No one was excited about having to FaceTime faraway relatives for several months, not getting to see them, not getting to hug them. That was no fun. I think flexibility is a huge part of it. Angela Landers from Riddle Elementary School, also in Frisco ISD, she said that planning puts you and your students on the road to success because people don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. I mean, I don't think anybody goes out and says, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to absolutely just ruin this. This is going to be, I'm going to be a failure. This is going to go poorly. I mean, if you do, more power to you. It could not be me. (laughs) But I, I think it's true that, you know, when you plan to put your students on the road to success, it could mean musical success, academic success, whatever it may be. The goal is for them to be successful adults, functioning adults in the world. And if you can do that through music, it's all we can ask for. She even says taking time to make students feel good about their learning is powerful. When you empower them to make mistakes and learn from them, you're being supportive as they grow. You know, you're getting to know them. That's an important part of being a successful teacher. It could be applicable to so many other professions as well. But specifically, the education field, I do think that we have that power in our immediate reach to support kids as they they learn from their mistakes. I'm going to close with something that my father shared with me about what he learned in his undergrads. My dad's a percussionist, and I could do a whole episode where I discuss just funny stories that I've heard from him and my mom about his time as a music student, especially in methods classes. But he said that during brass methods one day, the trumpet professor was stressing the importance of learning each instrument, saying, you have to know your craft. As a music educator, you have to know your craft because we owe it to those coming in to learn from us, to know what we do and know it well. In that, we give them the chance to love music. I love that that was something my dad shared with me as kind of a turning point for him. He said that he immediately became aware of the fact that students would be coming into class and wanting and needing to learn. Now, I don't think a lot of kids show up and just say, I want and need to learn today, but that desire is definitely deep within them, especially depending on the type of clientele that you teach. I know that some kids are super apathetic towards school and some kids are super apathetic toward music. 
But going back to that passion part of it, if your love for what you do and your love for your students is just outwardly expressed in how you care for them and how you use music in your approach to loving them, man, that is life-changing stuff. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I know it's why a lot of my colleagues are doing what they're doing. Um, my classmates are wonderful, and we've all kind of got to talk about this a little bit in different conversational settings. I hope that this episode offered some of you guys that. I wanted to say one more thing. All groups make mistakes, but the best groups recover the fastest. If you get time this week, think about a way in which you can show yourself grace for not reaching the standard of perfection. As musicians, I know that a lot of the time it's easy to get down on ourselves for not reaching a level of performance we think that we should. But I think it's also important to remember that there's an aspect to our teaching and our performance where we're going to fail sometimes and we're not going to hit the mark. And it's important to recover from that and be resilient. So I want you to think about a way you can start learning to apply recovery just as much as that strive for not missing notes and not fracking anything and hitting the intervals just right. Just something to think about this next week. Signing off for now. Go forth and love others through music this week. I'll see you guys next time.